If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. God wants to finish the story. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing, a podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. Today's sermon is from April 17, 1988. It is titled, Unless the Lord Builds. In this podcast, we're checking in on Pastor Lee's parish, Vision of Glory Lutheran Church, fondly referred to as VOG, at a time when they were considering building another addition to their church facility in Plymouth. This sermon from Pastor Lee has him addressing the decision the congregation was facing. There would be the need to raise money for this new building, which most likely meant an increase in giving and possibly diverting funding for other ministry work at VOG. Years before that, I remember my mother on either an Easter Sunday or Christmas Eve, or actually many Sundays, her seeing people packed in for a service at Vision of Glory. There needing to be overflow seating in the narthex. She said to me, I told your father this new addition wasn't going to be big enough. They should have thought bigger. My mother would not see any more expansion at VOG because of her passing. Knowing her, however, she certainly was gloating about her assessment being correct up in heaven. Vision of Glory badly needed more space. Most of you know, my father didn't like to mix his ministry much with the church financials and budgets. He rarely attended any church meetings having to do with money. That was not his shtick. He preferred to leave that to people more capable. He always wanted to remain focused on his preaching and leading the church spiritually. He definitely was not a fan of stewardship drives. For those who may not know much about stewardship drives, since they are not as popular as they used to be, stewardship drives were typically held in the fall when churches were beginning to develop their budgets for the upcoming year. The idea was to encourage parishioners to commit or tithe their giving. That way the church had an idea of the offering that would possibly be coming in during that following year. My father did another sermon on stewardship, which I thought was outstanding. I can't recall when or if we have it in our library. But in that message, he remarks that Vision of Glory was one of the leading ALC congregations when it came to per capita giving. He makes a similar comment in today's message. Yet he quickly dismisses the notion it was because of clever marketing, campaigning, or great stewardship ideas. His stance was always that if Jesus is first in our lives, and if Jesus is the center of our lives, then out of that posture and out of our love for our Savior, giving would come. Following Jesus' example was always his position when it came to stewardship. And in this message, he uses Moses and David as good examples as well for the right way to approach stewardship. One other quick note, something caught me off guard while listening to the sermon. There is an interruption that takes place. It may throw you a bit as it did me. I do not want you to be alarmed, just a heads up. The interruption does have me thinking that maybe this incident added even more to the impact of Pastor Lee's words that day. Please don't focus on that anticipated interruption. This is a fabulous message on encouraging us to have God involved in all aspects of our lives. So focus on this great message about making and keeping God in all of our decisions and activities. Here is, Unless the Lord Builds, given on April 17, 1988.
take their team to a tournament, uh, to the playoffs. They will be interviewed by uh, sports writers and they will say, what are you going to do in terms of, are you going to do anything different now that you've reached the playoffs or the state tournament or whatever it is? Most of the time, the coaches will say, we're going to go with what got us here. We're basically not going to change that much. We're going to stick with the formations or the plays or the players or whatever it is that got us at this point in the history of this team. If someone were to interview me as coach of this congregation would say, now what are you going to do differently now that you are thinking about building another addition for a million dollars? What new thing are you going to do? And I would simply say, we're going to go with what got us here to this point in the history and the life of this congregation. We have no major stewardship programs, such as when I started early in my ministry, I remember spending eight weeks every fall diverting our energies and our strengths and talents to try to convince the congregation they needed to give. To me, that was, as I thought about it later, it's like going to your own family and trying to convince your children or your wife it's Christmas time and now you need to give sacrificially to the rest of the family. What a ridiculous thought. We've gone without that kind of a program, probably a stewardship message once, no more than twice a year with temple talks, maybe a couple of times, a little note on your statements. We've gone with a faith budget, with the idea that what God orders, he pays for. That he who does God's work and God's way will have God's support and God's supply. We've gone with prayer, to the idea that you pray in your budget. We've gone with commitment to Jesus, that if people commit their hearts to Jesus, he will also have their pocketbook and their incomes. Where has this got us? Well, about three years ago, someone called me up and said that it got us to the point that our congregation was the highest giving per confirmed member of all the Lutheran churches in the Twin Cities. It's got us to the point where we give over $200,000 or 40% of our budget to missions beyond this door. It got us to the miracle that we paid off a balloon payment on the first two buildings that were built some years ago. It got us to the point where we paid off over $400,000 for the new sanctuary and offices in a very short time. And, but now it seems rather ridiculous that in less than a month, with simply one Sunday spent on sharing about this, and I may spend a little longer this Sunday and may take some Sunday school time, but hopefully the Sunday school teachers won't mind if they can have more room in the future. That's a hint in case you didn't know. <laughs> Seems rather ridiculous. You, you almost feel foolish about it, especially when I read in the paper this past week of another church that was raising a million dollars and they were going to, they've been using 10 weeks to do it. They've had a professional fundraiser and $50,000 invested. 
And we're going to do this in less than a month with one message and a temple talk and a little letter, a few drawings. But you see, as long as I am coach here, we're not going to change the game plan. Even if, in a sense, we lose the building and it's not in the cards right now. I think of two large churches that I have looked up to in terms of their example and ministry and the way they proceeded. One was a large Lutheran church, another was a large evangelical free church. They went along similar to our history and uh, built once or twice, and then all of a sudden when they came to a biggie, I was disappointed to hear now they were going to change. They were going to do it different. They were going to get in a professional fundraiser. Now we're in big time, and God can't handle something as big as a million dollars. He could handle the smaller projects, but somehow now at this point, he can't. And certainly everyone has to call him as you see him, and I'm not judging them in any way. But to me, it seems rather strange. And both of them, there was a lot of static... One of them ended up having such a tight budget they had to borrow the choir music from our church and who knows what it did to their mission. Because, you see, I believe that God would like to receive the glory whatever way it goes. Last Leadership magazine I got this week, uh, there was a big uh, two-page ad on it. What, when RSI makes a promise, they keep it. It goes on about the leading fundraising, church fundraising company in the country. If we promise it, you can believe that we intend to do it. Sounds tremendous, but how much more, you see, if we take God's promises to us. That somehow we are not here to glorify a certain fundraising. And certainly at times I'm sure the Lord leads congregations. And I'm not trying to say he doesn't. But I sense in this congregation that if it is to be, it will be with what got us here to this point in the history of this congregation. I'm excited because of the principles that can be taught to us individually in going through this, whatever way it goes. Because individually you need to learn the same things that we're trying to learn as a congregation. This morning I would simply like to take an outline I happened to see in uh, Bob Johnson's brother's uh, newsletter who's in Arizona and he used the first three petitions of, of the Lord's Prayer for an outline of God's presence, God's priorities and God's provision. He was using it about something else but certainly fits in well with what I want to share this morning. I believe that we're a unique church. I'm not saying that we're a perfect church, far from it. There's no sense of self-righteousness. But I believe that we are unique. That God has called us to a unique ministry, not only in terms of how we do our stewardship things and, and our giving to missions. There's a whole variety, a gamut of how I believe we're unique. I think one of the things can be seen in the frustrations when people leave here and move to other parts of the country. They have a difficult time adjusting trying to find, and you certainly that other, in other ways we can do that too, but certainly trying to find something of the uniqueness of this congregation. 
So we have to ask ourselves, are we really unique? If we're not unique, then let's just go along as we are, because we, we, there, we, if we're a, simply a clone of, of many other of the uh, Lutheran traditions in the area, then why bother for us to uh, bust our budget and do all kinds of disruptions in that way? If there's no sense of unique ministry here, we're simply a clone, then that's simply let's go on. But if we are unique, then we are not being fair to others who would seek to be a part of this fellowship and somehow it becomes a revolving door and we can't really bring any more in. The way it is, if we do build... According to the long-range com committee, by 1992, we will have absorbed all of that space in terms of the uniqueness and ministry of this congregation. If we are unique, then we need to make room. God's presence. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. And if God's not in it, I don't want to do it. See, you need to learn that in every of your life, as I do. We bought a house 13 years ago. We almost bought the wrong one. But God was in this house, and I can't think of a better house for us and for our family over the years. Certainly nothing pretentious, those of you who have been in there. There's really nothing unique about it other than for us. God knew the desires of our heart and what would fulfill them, and so God was in it. God is... I see in the cars that we, if God's not in the car that I buy, then I have some real problems. God needs to be in the marriage you would enter into. God needs to be in the vacation you go on. If God is not in it, there is no life in it, and we are driving with our brakes on. So whether it's buying a car or house or changing jobs or going on a vacation, you see... We need to sense whether God is in it. And so as a congregation, we're trying to teach each individually in the congregation this principle that God better be in it, whatever way we go. That's what David understood and Moses understood in a tremendous way in the Exodus. This is what the Lord has commanded. And then he goes on to talk about the, uh, the procedure to build the tabernacle and all its furnishings and... God was in it, and so it went forward in a tremendous way, as we'll read about a little later on. First Chronicles, the 28th chapter, verses 2 and 3. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord for the footstool of our God and I made plans to build it but God said to me you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood God was not going to be in the house that David in his heart wanted to build and so David had learned sometimes the hard way over the years that God if you are not in it it's ridiculous for me to go ahead and so we know that even though he gathered the materials and everything Solomon was the one that ended up building it Abraham went ahead and God wasn't in it. And he ended up with an Ishmael that's causing all the problems we have over today in the Holy Land with the Jews and the Arabs. That continues down through the years simply because God wasn't in it and Abraham wasn't willing to wait for God. God has us exactly where he wants us. Like he had Moses at the Red Sea. Behind us, we have a tremendous responsibility in terms of missions and in terms of the staff that we have. 
ahead of us there's a tremendous need in terms of this building and so he's got us in the middle between the things behind us and the responsibilities and the things ahead of us but that's exactly where he wants us when I was going to come here 20 years ago there was a pastor that turned on the call said he couldn't sleep with a debt of 170,000 so he turned it down I was young and eager and 35 years old and uh, since the Lord had called me and I didn't lose any sleep over that debt, the Lord took care of it. But I couldn't sleep with a debt of 800000 if God's not in it. In fact, I couldn't sleep with a debt of 8000 if God's not in this thing. But I could sleep with a debt of $8 million, you see, if God is in it. If God is in it, there's a unity in the family of God. I sensed that the last time, that there was a sense of unity as we waited on God and in His timing we built this addition. There was a sense of unity and oneness. And if God is in it, there is that sense of unity, of vision and oneness of spirit and effort and sacrifice. We seek to be a witness to others Probably good I went on that trip because I maybe would have softened in terms of seeing that over $200,000 for missions and saying, well, we can let up on that for a few years while we go through this and justify it. There's no way under heaven after going on this trip and other trips that we can leave that responsibility behind. But he is the Lord of radical interventions. There's times when he leads us into challenges and opportunities in order to astound us with what he is able to do with our impossibilities. Something like Dick shared in that beautiful story about that little girl. Oswald Chambers says, Our impossibilities provide a platform for the display of his almighty grace and power. He will not only deliver us, but in so doing he will give us a lesson we will never forget and to which we will return with joyous reflection. We will never be able to thank God enough for having done exactly what he did. And that's happened in the past. Still thanking God for that $70,000 balloon payment that they were worrying about when I got here and wanted to worry about for the next five years and suddenly was there, God took care of it. And one can look back in all of those things, and I believe that in this moment, God also wants to do that kind of work so that he receives the glory. Lord Jesus... Jesus, we take authority in your name. Pray for this person. Healing spirit, your power, your might. In Jesus' name. There's a beautiful story in Second Kings about Elisha. And he's surrounded by an enemy. 
and the servant got all hot and bothered. And Elisha simply comes out and says, Lord, open his eyes that he can see that he who is with us is greater than he who is against us. Each miracle he performs in our lives is preparation for a greater trust in the future. George Mueller started out with a few people, with a dozen people, a dozen orphans. But his trust grew, his faith grew from a few people to thousands that he simply supported in a faith budget in a tremendous way. Exodus, the 33rd chapter. Some interesting words. Verses 14 to 16. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? You see, Moses understood that principle. That unless God went with him, he wasn't ready to go. 106 Psalm, I read devotions yesterday, said, But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We need God's presence. And then we go on to say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's God's priorities. It's good to go through something like this, whichever way it goes, because all of us have to examine our own hearts and our own stewardship, certainly in terms of our giving and our priorities. Love will find a way and difference will find an excuse, as I said in my annual report. People can find all kinds of excuses, you see, for, for not giving and sacrificing. But ultimately, you see, it gets down to, to my heart. Where is my heart at? Where our, where our heart is, there is our treasure. And so it makes us examine our lives in terms of, of where our finances and investments are going. Last time, love found a way. Many people borrowed on their insurance policies. They got bonuses that they would give all or part of. There were a variety of ways that God worked as miracles, you see, as people understood the priorities. That can be a real witness. Think of the uh, Peanuts cartoon where it's a few years ago and Schroeder is playing at the piano. He's that great intellect, you know, and... Uh, uh, Lucy, of course, is an infatuated admirer of him. And so as he's playing along, Lucy says, Schroeder, do you know what love is? Schroeder abruptly stops his playing, stands up at attention and says, Love, noun, to be fond of, a strong affection for, or an attachment or devotion to a person or persons. Sits right back down and starts to play the piano again. Poor Lucy's kind of stunned and... He kind of says sarcastically, on paper, he's great. <laughs> there are a lot of Christians, on paper, they're great. They say they believe in the Word of God. It's inerrant, infallible. But you begin to talk about, in terms of what it talks about, of our stewardship and stewardship of our life and of our money. Then, you see, it's not so great because that's where the rubber hits the road. What I really believe, you see, comes out in moments like these. His Lordship in my life. 
his priority. Haggai has some interesting words when he's talking about the people. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. See, it's easy to be diverted, you see. Our priorities get confused and in times like this, it, it makes us examine our lives and our stewardship and certainly the stewardship of our money. Is everything going into myself while God's house, certainly not in ruin, but needs probably that kind of extension? There are many people who have been involved in many building programs. I think of Bill and Lou who are here this morning who have gone through four of them at least and have committed and given themselves and have a witness of, of their tithing and giving, but they're both on retirement. And so some of the rest of us, you see, in these generations need to come along with that sense of same priority in our lives. The Lordship of Jesus. It's strange, but when you go through this, people learn they can. It, it deepens the giving because once people are through those kinds of, of commitments, they find they can tithe or they can give more than the tithe. And so the level continues at that level that they came into this in. We've seen that in our congregation. That's why our missions can be so large. Why there is it? Because people, once they've made the commitment, don't let up when the building is paid for and the mortgage is burned. We say that same kind of thing continue. People... Learn, you see, that God's word is true. Put me to the test. Bring the tithes and the offerings. John Burroughs was a beloved naturalist uh, in our country. And uh, in all his writings, uh, he would talk about the birds. And there was a woman who knew him fairly well. And so she invited him over one day. One day and she was aware of his love for birds and how they were always being described in his writings. And uh, they were sitting out on her porch uh, visiting. Uh, and as they were visiting, she, said, she started to complain. She said, why is it, uh, Mr. Burroughs, that uh, there are so many birds at your place? I have no birds at all in my yard. And, but John Burroughs had been watching and absorbed fascination, all sorts of birds flitting amidst the shrubbery and flying among the trees around the lady's house. He replied, Madam... You will not see birds in your yard until you have birds in your heart. One doesn't see joy in giving and get excited about giving sacrificially to the Lord to the love of Jesus in our heart. That's part of the uniqueness, I believe, of this congregation that we are where we are because people have the love of Jesus in their hearts. And out of that love, we see the needs, whether here or across the ocean in a variety of places. And every once in a while, once a month, you should go back over the budget for the year and begin to picture all the places that all of over $200,000 is going, the lives it's affecting, the rippling effect all over the world. People come back from Peru and, you, and have visited the Christophersons who were supporting to a large extent. And in, in Ecuador, they went by the... Tremendous orphan work that we're doing in the orphanage with John Monday. And so it goes. And people every week come in, having come from various parts of the world, and our life is there because of the priorities we have established. 
We are trying to set the example as a congregation for people individually to have the right priorities in our lives. Someone has said, life is a lot like a coin. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can spend it only once. And finally, the provisions. Give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting to read back in Exodus, and you can go back that when God told them to do this, everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting. All who were willing, men and women, came, brought gold, jewelry, all kinds of brooches. All the women who were willing and had the skills spun the goat hair. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord the free will offerings. So always those who were willing and all the people continue to bring free will offerings morning after morning. The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. And here's a nice situation. Moses gave an order. It sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the Lord. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. I've had a lot of great things happen in my ministry, and I've often said I could die today and be very happy with the things I've seen happen. But it would just really be nice, even in my ministry, to be able to get up some Sunday and say, I'm sorry, folks, no more. They that seek the Lord will act no good thing. John Henry Jowett talks of visiting in a small village an elderly woman who had died, and she died penniless because she'd really she'd been uneducated, not sophisticated. But during her life, she had just given herself and the little she did have in great service. And on her tombstone, they had written these words: "She did what she couldn't." Every Christian who allows Christ to live his life through us can do what they couldn't. Do through us what we can't do ourselves. We need to be reminded this morning that buildings are simply scaffolding. You know my heart, and I'm not too much into building buildings. If I had been, we would have built along before this, and I would have been on every, in every building committee meeting. I never did go to one when we built this and haven't been other than when they've asked me to attend now. Because I understand that buildings are only the scaffolding. And when you read scripture, it's people who are the real building, the living stones. But you need the scaffolding to build buildings. You need buildings to build people. And we never want to lose sight that it's only a means to an end of proclaiming the gospel and the reality of Jesus. Mother Teresa had a mind she should build an orphanage. And so she went to Mother Superior. She said, you know, I just have a vision that I'm supposed to build an orphanage. Mother Superior said to the sister, she was a sister that time, what do you have? She said, I have God and three pennies. <laughs> Mother Superior said, oh, Teresa, Teresa, you can't build an orphanage with three pennies. No, but with God and three pennies, I can build 
anything. And she did. And we can. We're going to go with what got us here. Win or lose, whether we build now or later. No slick brochures, no gimmicks, no programs, no banquet. Because we need his presence, his priorities, his provision. For unless he builds, we will labor in vain. But if he builds, there will be another miracle to him in the history and life of this church. To him be the glory for the great things he has done and he will do. We will go with him. Whatever he will decide. And each of you are involved in making that decision. Amen. Thank you, Lord. But if you're in it, all things are possible. And as we sang, nothing is too difficult. Difficult. Amen. So did Vision of Glory build this new edition in 1988-89? As most of you know, they did build this edition as confirmed by Dave Henderson, who was chair of the building committee at that time. A note of thanks to Dave for all of his years in service and leadership at Vision of Glory. He was one of many people who were instrumental in the ministry there. The sermon was a great reminder that if God is not in something, whether it be a situation or a decision, then perhaps we should not do it. As Pastor Lee suggests, you'll sleep better, if nothing else, knowing God is truly in it with you. Or maybe... Just maybe, you will see that with God in it, you can do what you couldn't. A willing, loving family helps make these podcasts possible. I am always appreciative for their support and contribution. Thank you. And thank you to all of you listeners who have tuned in to this podcast. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Until next time, when Pastor Leland Evenson brings us another message which can help us all keep the main thing the main thing. Thank you.